Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Um, my name is Sutton Davis, and this is my husband, Walker, and we're going to be doing the scripture reading this morning, and it comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in the tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. All right, let's pray. All right, dear Lord, thank you for this great day. Thank you for this awesome opportunity where we get to come and fellowship together and uh, worship you together as one church family. Uh, as we work into this next week, I pray that uh, we focus on growing closer to you with everything we do, God. Uh, I'd like to especially lift up Paul and the seniors today, and um, I just pray that you be a light to them and their new endeavors and keep them safe with everything they do. Uh, thank you so much. I love you. and. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, it's great to see you. Uh, today we are wrapping up a teaching series. If you're new with us, this is your first week being with us. For the last three weeks, we've been walking through this idea of what it means to renew your minds and be transformed into the image of Christ. And so if you've missed out on some of that, uh, today will still make sense to you, but uh, we'd love to encourage you to go back and maybe check out uh, some of our episodes or sermons from the past few weeks on our uh, website or our app, and you can kind of catch up to what we've been talking about. Uh, but when it comes to our minds and our faith, we're meant to be people who 
are continually transformed into the image of Christ. In fact, as a church, we've said that this is our definition of what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, who's being transformed by Jesus, and is someone who's on mission with Jesus. And that transformation that takes place, as Paul writes to the church, he starts to tell the church that really transformation takes place when our minds are renewed, when our minds accept the transformation that God wants to do in our lives. And so we've been kind of saying spiritual transformation begins with surrendering our minds to the Lordship of Jesus. That when we think about being spiritually transformed, the starting point is giving our life to Jesus and saying, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that I need salvation from my sins. And now that I've come into your family and you've brought me into your kingdom, I want to have my life and my mind transformed to be more like Jesus so that I can live out these things, right? And so when we think about this, it might look like, um, as Paul talks about some things, this old life dying and a new life being brought in. Like Paul literally says that when we become believers in Jesus, that our old way of living dies, the old self dies, and we come into a newness of life. We are raised into a life in Christ. In a lot of ways, it's like taking off some old stinking thing, right? Like if you are dead, you're a carcass, that stuff that stinks, it's nasty, it needs to be dealt with. You need to put on something fresh and new, right? How many of you know if your clothes stink, you need to change them? Uh, you preferably should take a shower before you do that because it's probably not just your clothes that stink. It's probably you. Uh, but if you're going to just change clothes, you want to have something fresh on. Maybe you've been out working in the yard. Maybe you've been to the gym. Uh, maybe you're like me. You like to hang out around fires. I'm a, maybe a little bit of a pyromaniac. I don't know, but I like fires. And so uh, I like to have a fire pit and, and burn fires in them. And one of the interesting things is, is that as you stoke that fire and get it started and you use things to, to get it going and it starts to burn, then you've got to stoke it continually. And all of the time that you're around a fire, what's happening? The smoke is blowing onto you, right? And it's great while you're outside and everything's fine. You don't even really recognize it because there's so much stuff going on all around. But as soon as you step into an enclosed space, like go back into your house, you start to realize, man, I stink. Like, I smell like smoke. I got to get this stuff off of me. Uh, and I hate that smell. Like, I love fire, hate the smell of smoke. Uh, and so to go into my house, I've gotta, I'm not just going to change clothes. I need to take a shower because it's not just in my clothes. It's in my hair. If I try to go to bed tonight and lay on that pillow and my smoky hair gets on the pillow every time I smell something, it's just going to be smoke all night long. And it's disgusting, right? Thank you. It's probably the only amen I'll get all day is like, you, your hair stinks, right? Um, so... But I'm going to go and I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to deal with the smell and then I'm going to put on fresh clothes. And Jesus says, listen, the same thing is true when you come into faith in Christ. There are some things that you take off from your old way of life to be raised into new life to walk with me. And I'm going to reclothe you into some better things to give you a fresh perspective on life. But it starts with how we think. It starts in our minds. And so as Paul addresses some of these things, we start to understand that when our minds and our thinking stinks, that we need to change the way that we think. I had an uncle that used to say, when I would say something stupid, he'd go, man, that's just stinking thinking. And you need to change that. You ever had anybody that's told you you had a stinking thinking? So I've got to go, man, my mind my, is corrupt. There's just these stinking thoughts that I have, and they start to play out in my whole life because what I think determines what I believe, and what I believe determines how I behave. And so as we think about that progress and we go, man, if I've got stinking thoughts that fill my mind, then I need to change the way that I think. And I need to let the Spirit of God transform how I think. And he does that through his word. And he does that as he speaks truth into our lives. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, just to start. And we're going to talk about a few things that Paul says that takes place when this change begins, that we are becoming followers of Jesus. The old way of life has to change. The new way of life that we find in God takes root. And so here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he's in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, because Paul uses language here that tells us to take off certain attributes and characteristics and put on different ones in our new life, I always think about a wardrobe, right? You think about the clothes that you have hanging in your closet. And Paul might say, like, listen, you've got all these old kind of clothes that are there, some things that you need to take off. And he addresses that like these are your attributes, your characteristics. He goes, this is the things like anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. And so when I think about these old attributes, these clothing kind of things, I would think that it would be like some Somebody coming to me and going, hey, here's what I would love to do. I would love to take you on a shopping spree and let you buy all new clothes for your closet. Anybody enjoy that offer? A few of you might take people up on that and going, all right, here's what I want you to do. Take all your old clothes, the stuff that's got holes in it, the stuff that's stretched out, doesn't fit well anymore, the things that are kind of faded because they've been in the sun too much, the things that have, you know, armpit stains and baby throw up stains and all the kind of stuff that you really, you have to wear because it's there, but you don't really want to anymore. Take all those things, pile them up. We're going to give that stuff away. Tomorrow I'm taking you on a shopping spree. We're going to go get brand new stuff. And the person follows through. They come to your house and they take you on a shopping spree. You buy all this new stuff, new clothes. Everything's vibrant. Everything fits right. Nothing stretched. There's no holes anywhere, no throw-up stains anywhere. Like, it's good new clothes, brand new wardrobe. And the following day, you get up to get dressed and you walk over to the old pile of clothes on the floor and you pick stuff out of that and go, I'm going to put this stuff on again today. And I'm going to wear the old stuff it doesn't fit well. It doesn't look good. It's not vibrant. It's kind of smelly, but I'm going to wear it anyway because this is what I know. And Paul goes, here's the deal with the Christian life. When you come into faith in Christ and God starts to renew your mind and transform the way you think, he takes you from death into life and he's going to say, I want you now to clothe yourself not with anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and all these things, deceitfulness and all this stuff from your past life. He goes, I want you now to clothe yourself and compassion, and kindness, and gentleness, and patience. 
And learn to bear with people when you have arguments and stuff against one another. And hang in there in the fight. And over all of these things, put on like a jacket, love. Because it binds them all together in perfect unity. And so Paul would say, you've got to leave the old stuff alone. That way of life that you had before you knew Christ, where your life was filled with bitterness and hatred and anger and sexual immorality and, and all these different things. He goes, you put that stuff to death. That died when you came into faith in Christ. You've been raised into this new life, so transition your mind to think with love and patience and peace and hope and gentleness and kindness, right? And so it's all this change in mind. And so for Paul, when he starts to write these things, here's kind of the rub in all of this. When it comes to getting dressed and picking out our clothes, we do that on our own. Most of us do that on your own. Some of you might have had some help. Uh, but we typically choose these things on our own. We live in a very individualistic society. And we come to the Bible like that a lot of times too. We start to read the Bible as if it only applies to us. And what I get out of it is the most important thing. And in Paul's day, as he was writing, and here's what we're really going to focus in on for the last few minutes and as we kind of wrap up this series today, is that the renewal of the mind takes place in community. This is not just something that you do on your own by yourself. It takes community. And so Paul would say, instead of reading the Bible from a very individualistic mindset, that's what Westerners do. That's how we tend to come to things. How did I see that? What do I read? What do I need to do? What's it mean for me? He goes, I wrote this in an Eastern culture, and this implied in a way that they thought about community first. This book, when Paul wrote it to the Colossian people, they would have read it like we did this morning in front of everybody. They would have read the entire book, and then they would have discussed it and talked about it and said, man, what does that mean for us? What does this life in Christ look like for us? How are we as believers in Jesus supposed to make changes in our life together that we do this? And so rather than it being individualistic, it's communal. And here's how I think it might read if we saw it from that perspective if we reread that passage and it said, since then you, and we didn't think since then I, but we thought since then you, church, us together, since then you, church, have been raised with Christ, all of you set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things above, church. That's what we have to do, not on earthly things. For you all, we collectively died and our life now collectively is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you all, as a group of believers, will also appear with him in glory. So all of you, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you, as a collective people following God, must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here in this gathering of Jesus' disciples, there's no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he's in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves collectively with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven us all. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So when we think about that, we are people created in the image of God. 
So we're supposed to think like God does. And God exists in community. God has eternally existed in community. One God in the form of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They share the same divine attributes and qualities, but they're three distinct people. The Spirit is not the Son or the Father. The Son is not the Spirit or the Father. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. They are three unique individuals, but they share one common set of attributes and qualities. That's divinity. It's divine. And so they have existed eternally in this relationship. There's always been community in the Godhead. And so when God created us and he said, let us make man in our image, it didn't mean that we look like God physically, but we have these attributes. We're kind of like God in some different ways. And so we are meant to be like God in some different things. And one of the ways that God intended for us to live and has built us and wired us is to be in community. He goes, I'm a God of community and I expect you to live in community. That's why he said about Adam when he had created everything, it's not good for the man to be alone. That's not how God does things. So he creates Eve and he gives Eve to Adam as a wife, as a helpmate. And so Adam now has a companion, a partner, who's going to do life with him. There's community that's there. And so in the church, for us, when we think about these same things, part of our created order is to live in community with one another. You were made for a community. And here's what I love about that. The community reveals the heart of God. And community changes how we think about him and how we follow his ways. That as we do life in community together, it starts to change how we think about him and as we live with each other to be in relationship with him. And we're meant to do that together. It's not just about your relationship with Jesus. It's about our relationship with Jesus. That we're called into something bigger. So one of the powerful ways God renews our minds is by putting us in community and in relationships with other Christians. So when we get another letter that Paul wrote, we skip down to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to find how Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And he addressed this idea that our minds need to be renewed in community. Because I want you to see that this is not just something that you do that's just you isolated on your own on an island. Like it's not just you. We do this together. So look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. He says, therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Do you recognize and know that you can't be like-minded with someone if you're all alone? Like-mindedness comes in community. He says, so be like-minded. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and of mind. That word mind there can mean purpose, that we have the same purpose. So he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So as Paul writes to this group, he's saying, listen, I want you to know that you're not meant to read this as individuals. You're meant to read this together. You're meant to see how this all works together, that we don't do anything out of selfishness and selfish ambition and vain conceit. He goes, but you're supposed to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Jesus was God who came to this earth and took on flesh. And he lived his divine nature among us, the sinless lamb of God. And yet that same very one, the one that spoke 
creation into existence. When he came and he placed flesh on himself and he walked among us, he didn't demand people serve him. He didn't act like he was the best. He didn't do anything for himself that was selfish and vain. He did everything to make others more important. On the night that Jesus was going to die, I, I saw this on the internet the, the other day because everything cool comes from the internet, right? Uh, that I thought this was just really powerful, though, that when if you knew that you were going to die, what would you do with the last hours of your life? Jesus knew, and he washed feet. Like, he didn't do anything going, oh, I would do the big vacation, and I would do the things for me, and I would have my last moments of glory to make my life purposeful and meaningful. Jesus goes, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather those around me that I love and I'm going to wash their feet and I'm going to serve them. And then I'm going to go die on a cross so that they can have access to my father. That's how I'm going to live out the last hours of my life by serving others. And so Paul goes, so don't do anything church out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others better than yourself, more important than you. Somebody in our sermon team meeting this week said something that I loved. I thought it was so interesting. They said, the Christian life is really a race to the end of the line. <laughs> if we're really going to do the Jesus thing the way that he intended it, it's us running as fast as we can to the back of the line to get other people in front of us. Now listen, that's challenging to me. I'm going to Disney next weekend. <laughs> I want to get to the front of the line as fast as I can. I can't imagine getting to the front of the line after waiting for an hour and being like, no, no, you guys go ahead. We'll wait for the next one in 30 minutes, right? I'm running to the front. But the Jesus life is run to the back. Put other people in front of yourself. Make others more valuable to you. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus lived his life. Value others as more important than yourself. And that only happens when we live in community. And so for me, I've been so blessed in my life to have community around me and to have guys that I can share my life with. And, and the group of guys that I'm discipling right now, we've been together for about two years. And one of the things that I've appreciated so much is just times that I can, can just share with them where I have hurts and pains in my life, where things aren't right, where I need encouragement and help. And for those guys to come alongside of me and say, well, man, here's here's where this is difficult and why you're, you're thinking the wrong way. Like that's not the approach that Jesus would take or that's, that's not something that's going to benefit you down the line. You need to, to readdress your thoughts. You need to readdress your heart. You need to think about what's in the deepest part of you and push forward to something else that God has for you that's better. And it's an incredible relationship to have with people that can say to one another in community, in relationship, God has something better for you Leave that old way of life and let it die so you can be raised to this new life that God has intended for you to follow. But we have to make the decision, are we going to be governed by our spirit, by the spirit of God, or governed by our flesh? And so here's the last thing that I want to give you this morning is from Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Paul writes again to the church in Rome and says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what their flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And so Paul had told us in 1 Corinthians that we need to take every thought that we have captive to Christ in order to make it obedient to him. 
And then as he writes this, he says, it's really a matter of who are you going to let be in charge? Who's going to govern you? Which mind are you going to allow to rule you today? And which mind, church, are we collectively going to let rule us? Is it a mind governed by the flesh that says, do whatever you want, you do you, you be you, you go for you? Because that sounds great in our community, in our environment, in our culture today. You do you, right? Like, you're so individualistic, you just do you, whatever you think is good, pursue your pleasure, pursue your dreams, your ambitions, your desires. That all sounds really good, but it's not redemptive. It's narcissistic. There's no you do you in Scripture, There's you lay down your life and you follow Jesus because the mind governed by your flesh, you do you, leads to death. But he goes, the mind governed by the spirit, well, that brings life and peace. So when you look at your life today and you go, man, what do I really need in my life? Do I need life? Do I need peace? Do I have some things that are just hard that I don't have peace about? What's governing your mind? Are you being more driven by your flesh and what you desire and what you want for you and how you're going to go for it? Or are you being driven by Jesus who goes, man, I just want you to lay everything down at my feet and let me pick up that burden. Let me serve you. Let me put you at the front of the line. I'll, I'll humbly honor you. But I want you to let my spirit guide your mind because a mind governed or led under authority of the Spirit, brings life and peace. And so that's what I want for us as a church. And as the band comes back to lead us in one last song this morning, and as we kind of close this series up thinking about what we want for our minds and our lives, I want us to be people who find peace and life in Jesus Christ because he alone is worthy. And he alone can bring that to you. Anything else that you pursue that you think is going to bring you hope and life and peace, it's going to leave you empty and flat at the end. It might feel good for a season. In fact, the Bible tells us sin feels great for a season. But in the end, it's going to leave you hopeless and devoid of life. And it's going to lead to a place called death. And not just physical death, eternal death. Death separated from God for eternity. He goes, but I want to bring you life, peace. Not just physical life, spiritual life. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to give you life abundantly, like the best you can imagine, but not just in this world, but forever and ever and ever with me in eternity so that I can renew you to your Father. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.